Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore, the podcast where we take a deep dive into well-known mantras and metaphors, looking into their history and finding how they translate into everyday life. Each week, we invite a special guest to tell us how they resonate with the chosen expression. I've been doing a lot of thinking the last few days about possibilities and how they happen or don't happen compared to making things happen. And if the word possible is a negative or a positive word, what do you think? We use words every day and take their meanings for granted sometimes, many times. But my thoughts on possibilities began right after I spoke to my guest, who is the wonderful and driven Karen Alexander-Banks. She's the founder of the global arts-based non-profit organization, the Auntie Karen Foundation. I met her over dinner in, where were we? I think we were in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, and we bonded and uh, she went on to do some other wonderful things. And I met her again in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. She did this wonderful event with the one and only Vanessa Williams. And it was really nice to catch up with her again. So I took this opportunity and I hope you enjoy the show. Today, we will be discussing the incredible journey this organization has taken, which, which is, of course, Karen's organization, from its humble beginnings that were lit by a spark of faith to the base of empowerment it has become for many. But before that, let's take a dive into what her chosen metaphor, with faith, all things are possible, might mean for you. Faith comes in many different forms. We see it everywhere, whether it's placing trust in a loved one, in a theory, or the cards kept close to your chest. We've all known faith at one point or another. And of course, we have the most widely influential example of faith, religion. With winter around us in most places around the world, today we're going to be learning about some of the celebrated religious festivals that occur in the cold months and the stories behind them. Did you know that the 8th of December is known as the Day of Enlightenment in Buddhist culture? Buddhism began over 2,500 years ago, and the Day of Enlightenment, or Bodhi Day, is an important celebration in the religion. The story of this celebration begins with the founder of Buddhism himself, Suddhartha Gautama, who would later be known as the Buddha. Suddhartha was a prince in Nepal who lived a comfortable and sheltered life. When he grew older, however, he decided to travel, and once he left the familiar bubble of his easy life, he saw all the struggles that life has to offer and was deeply affected by what he saw. You asked, what lies beyond the palace walls? For the first time, you went out into the city, riding in a gilded carriage. But you wanted to see the city by yourself, so you escaped into the maze of alleyways. And you were horrified by what you saw. An old woman, wrinkled, toothless and crooked. A man eaten up by disease, coughing, sweating and covered in boils. Then, by the banks of a river, a funeral procession. 
The dead body was carried to the water's edge and laid gently on a pile of wood. The family trailed behind, crying and wailing in their grief. You stayed until the pyre was lit and watched as oily black smoke billowed to the sky. It was the end of your innocence. There is no point to life. All that happens is that you get old, get ill, and die. But on the way back to the palace, a holy man was sitting serenely at the side of the road, begging for alms. He had nothing, but he seemed at peace. Here, you thought, must be the answer. And so the wheel turns. At the age of 29, he decided to leave his home and what he knew to become a man of faith and seek meaning in life. He served under several teachers for six years, living in appreciation of beauty in all its forms, but he was still unsatisfied. He tried many disciplines, at one point even surviving on one grain of rice a day, but he still couldn't find the answers he was looking for. Siddhartha vowed to sit under a Bodhi tree, a sacred fig tree, and meditate until the path was clear. He meditated and fasted for several days under this tree, and on the eighth day, he reached enlightenment. He had several realizations that would become the principles of modern Buddhism. It was there that the Noble Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths Two key concepts in Buddhism were born through Siddhartha, who would, from his point on, be known as the Buddha, meaning the enlightened one. The answer he came up with came to be known as the Four Noble Truths. The first truth is simply the acknowledgement that there is suffering. Everyone gets sick. Everyone gets old. And as another sage once pointed out, you can't always get what you want. The second truth is that the cause of this suffering is not necessarily the events, getting sick, getting old, or dying, or the objects of our desires, like nice clothes, a fancy car, lustful encounters, or good food. The cause of our suffering is our craving to have these things. If we don't get them, we become unhappy. Sometimes we even become unhappy when we get these things, because then we want even more. The third truth, believe it or not, is that it is possible to overcome these cravings. When we lose the attachment to these expectations, that we won't get old, that we have to have something, we lose the cause of our suffering. The fourth truth is that the way to accomplish this is by following the Eightfold Path. These four truths are the foundation of Buddhism. Bodhi Day is celebrated in many ways by many people. For monks, it is considered a day for meditation and reflection. For 30 days, a candle is lit and multicolored lights are hung up, both of which symbolize enlightenment. The colored lights specifically symbolize the many pathways one can take to enlightenment also known as the Eightfold Path, the last of the Four Noble Truths we mentioned earlier. Here's a little bit more on that. Which is Noble Truth number four, the path to lead out of dissatisfaction. 
And his specific form of medicine, his formula for human happiness, is known as the Eightfold Path. And it's often represented here as a wheel. Because when you think about it, a wheel rolls along through life when every single one of the spokes is equally taut and working well together. And so, if you have your right thoughts, right speech, right bodily actions, and right kind of job where you're not harming or hurting anybody else, that clears your mind and actually allows you to focus your energies so you can make a right effort. And that allows you then to concentrate. And when you can concentrate, now you have ease and right mindfulness, which eventually leads to right understanding and wisdom. Traditionally, on this day, a meal of milk and rice is eaten, as this is the first meal that the Buddha ate after reaching enlightenment. Now, I think we all know at this point that Christmas falls on the 25th of December. But did you know that Hispanic Christian communities have a celebration called Posadas Navideñas on December 16th? This fantastic celebration occurs through the week leading up to Christmas in Mexican villages and towns and celebrates the well-known tale of the Christian prophet Jesus being born from the Virgin Mary. Specifically, the celebration focuses on the long journey that the Virgin Mary made with her betrothed Joseph on the back of a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They were ordered to do so by Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor at the time, as he was conducting a census on everyone in his land, meaning everyone who was not originally from Nazareth had to return to their homeland. As this was originally where Joseph was from, they were forced to return there. By the time that Mary and Joseph had reached Bethlehem, there was nowhere for them to stay, but they happened upon an inn where every room was full except for the stables. They took shelter there, which is where the Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus, who would be known then on to be the King of the Jews and the Messiah to the Christian faith. The word posadas is actually a Spanish word for inn, and the Posadas Navideñas festival features live reenactments of the events that led to the birth of Jesus that begins with a street procession where Mary and Joseph look for shelter during their journey to Bethlehem. Children often reenact these scenes and carry candles through the parade. Typically, there are also biancicos, a term for Christmas carols sung and piñatas filled with fruit and sweets for the cheerful children. Now it's time for our guest, Karen Alexander-Banks. She chose a metaphor that is close to her heart. With faith, all things are possible. Karen shares with us how faith has been important throughout her life and how it has guided her through life's uncertainties. So here it is. Karen, thank you for joining me on Metaphorically Speaking. For our listeners who don't know of you, especially our listeners are from the UK, perhaps you can tell us more about you and, of course, the Auntie Karen Foundation. My name is Karen Alexander-Banks, and I am the founder and the executive director for the Auntie Karen Foundation, which is a global arts-based nonprofit 
with our mission to use the arts to empower, enlighten, and educate. And we've been doing it since 2001. And how did it come to be? Because it didn't just come to be just like that. I know that you left some very important decisions or you made some very important decisions in order to make it happen. How did it happen? Back in 2001, I was asking God for purpose and direction. And the voice that I heard said that whatever you do, you need to use the arts. So I literally stepped out on faith. It was August 6, 2001. I left my corporate job with Xerox. I actually had no idea what I would do, but I kept hearing, step out on faith, step out on faith. And Auntie Karen grew out of all the loves of my life. I was a first grade teacher. And when I was at the University of South Carolina, I sang in a pop singing group called Carolina Live. So we got to travel the globe singing. And I worked for a company called Xerox. So all those things combined to create Auntie Karen. And then the foundation grew out of, of, out of that. Why the name Auntie Karen? In our family, we call our aunts Auntie. And so back in 1985, I went to California to meet my godchild. And my cousin lived there at the time. And he had a daughter. She was two or three years old. And he didn't want her just to call me Karen. So he coined the name Auntie Karen. And later that year, I actually became an aunt. My two brothers and my sister, they all had kids within months of each other. And when my niece was about three years old, I started Auntie Karen Girls Stay Out. And the name just stuck from there. So tell us more about the Auntie Karen Foundation. Well, our programs all have the purpose of using the arts to empower, enlighten, and educate. And so several of our programs have been in existence since inception. Our Young Entrepreneurs Conference is held in the fall, and we showcase kids from 7 to 22 with their own businesses. And my youngest was four years old. Uh, we have some kids that have gone on to do some amazing things. If you watch the inauguration in the U.S. this year, you saw this amazing, I guess, purple-looking yes, outfit. Everyone started. Yes, and that was designed by one of my babies, Sergio Hudson. I also have another young man who recently won an Emmy, Stephen Love. And another young man that was with us that got nominated for a Grammy. So we have our Young Entrepreneurs Conference. We also have our Artists in the Schools program, and that's called Artpreneur. And that's when we get seasoned artists to teach their skill sets to kids. Now in South Carolina, our kids who live in rural communities, they are not as fortunate as the kids who live in the city. So we have a lot of artists who go into the schools for the entire year in those communities. When we started working in one of the counties, we had discovered that the kids hadn't had art for seven years. Can you imagine no art for seven whole years? And so that's probably one of the programs I'm most passionate about. Then we have some original cartoon characters, because when I was a teacher, I used to write music. And I wrote this one song for our ocean unit called The Octopus Song. And from that, my character, Olivia the Octopus, was Your born. <laughs> She's my baby. She, But she has competition now. I have 15 characters total, but Gordon, my overweight purple Jamaican yam, is actually, yes, he is actually kind of trumping Olivia because... You know, everybody just sees this big cuddly thing, then they just want to come and give him a hug. So, and um, finally, our Legends of Concert series that is our way of paying tribute to the contributions that people of African American descent have made to the arts. And because I'm a musician or a vocalist, music, but it's all types of art. But the biggest thing that we do once a year, we bring in a Grammy Award winning music legend. And this year, we happened to partner up with The Color of Music, 
And we brought in Vanessa Williams. And she's just multi-talented. She was an actress, former Miss America, a singer, Broadway. And she brought all of that to the stage, yes, or last night. It was a marvelous and wonderful occasion. So how did it feel, you sitting out there in the audience for the 20th anniversary of the foundation, and also having Vanessa Williams there, and also having The Color of Music, Black Classical Musicians Orchestra on that stage in South Carolina? I am a person who believes that with faith, all things are possible. And I usually visualize. So I probably had this dream 20 years ago and it came to life. So it felt like it had already happened before. And it was just a great feeling. Uh, Lee Pringle with the Color of Music Orchestra, we were actually friends in our 20s. And we were dreaming big back then. And Taylor Harding, who is the dean of the US University of South Carolina School of Music, we've been in partnership since 2006. So it was just a culmination of everything that was supposed to happen last night on stage. And it felt great. It was just like, God, you are so amazing because all the stars aligned for last night to happen. And it aligns with also your motto, the metaphor that we're discussing, which is with faith, all things are possible. Tell us more about how that metaphor has been part of your life. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina was where I was born, but we were always involved in church. My family was a part of a gospel choir, had several ministers in my family. And so we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we had a lot of faith. And we knew that once we put our mind to doing something, it would happen. I was sharing this story the other day, uh, telling people about when I wanted to go to the University of South Carolina. It was the only school I had selected. And I got my acceptance letter on my birthday in 1980. And, and I really believe that that was meant to be. I was also sharing the story about when we wanted our first legend, when we started this. Of course, we did this with zero dollars. Uh, <laughs> but when we started it, we were like, oh, yeah, that's what we want. So someone said, well, if you could have anybody on stage for your concert, who would it be? And this guy was new to town and he didn't know anything about us. And I said, well, I really would love to have Roberta Flack. And he said, oh, she's my cousin. <laughs> and so we ended up having her that year. And then a couple of years later, I was leaving one of my Legends meetings and Barbara Bowman, who's on my team, said, who are you thinking about for Legends this year? And I just said, I really want Al Jarreau. And she was like, well, Susan Jarreau is good friends with my friend Sherry in L.A. They're best of friends. And literally two weeks later, Susan Jarreau calls me and Al Jarreau was our legend in 2006. So I am under the belief that first you have to visualize or know what you want. Don't worry about how you're going to get there. I created what I call my Auntie Karen Faith Principles. And F is find a purpose or a goal because it all starts with you have to know what you want. A is ask for help. I is invest in your mind. T is think big and take time to plan. And H is help others. And so the first thing that I always do is decide what it is that I want. And then I put a date to it. And like a magnet, I attract all the resources and all the people. And uh, don't, don't let me let you think that this is easy because it's not. But we know that if God gives you a vision, then he will provide. So 
that's how I've lived the legacy or created what's now a legacy in our area through faith. I know you are going to continue because it's the 17th year. And of, of course, uh, I know you're, a, I wouldn't say a workaholic because you're passionate about what you do. So can you tell us a little about your plans for the future? So I have this vision for Auntie Karen's place. So I envision that Auntie Karen will live well beyond Karen Alexander Banks. And so the vision is to create this safe haven for artists. I envision a 50-acre someplace in the low country, about 50 acres, where you could have this retreat center for artists to come in and to renew and to learn, but then also to educate. And then we would replicate this not only in North America, but in South America and in Africa as well. Wow, big. Uh, I'm going to continue to uh, keep a watch and see what you're doing. But it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, this is not our first time of talking. I remember the first time that we met, I was like, wow, okay. But then being back here and seeing what you put together with the Mahogany Music Festival. And of course, last night, and Vanessa Williams, I I know that uh, there's no stopping you. (laughs) I can see that. But so thank you for everything that you've done. And thank you for taking the time to speak to me. It's my pleasure. Thank you. What a fantastic legacy Karen has created. I think that what we can take from her experiences is that it does not matter where we come from or where we start. Perseverance, heart and faith in ourselves and in what we do is the way to make our dreams a reality. Before our interview with Karen Alexander-Banks, we were discussing different types of faith and specifically religious festivals that are going to take place this winter. So far, we've looked at the Day of Enlightenment, celebrated by Buddhists, and Posadas Navidinias, celebrated mostly by Hispanic Christians. It is well known that December is often considered a time for Christian celebrations, But did you know that Hindus also have a December gift-giving festival? December 21st to December 25th is known in the Hindu community as Pancha Ganapati, a modern Hindi celebration during which the god Ganesha is worshipped. Ganesha is the elephant-headed lord of culture and arts and the winter solstice for a traditional season for his worship. Ganesha is also the god of beginnings, whose name means lord of the people. Ganesha is commonly depicted riding a large Indian bandicoot rat, which symbolizes his ability to overcome all obstacles. One of the many stories that depicts the birth of Ganesha begins with his mother, the goddess Pavuti, and his father, the god Shiva. Whilst Pavuti was bathing, she began to think of ways in which she could prevent Shiva from barging in on her, as this was a frequent habit of his. With dirt that she had rubbed off her body, she formed the shape of a child which then came to life. When Shiva saw the child, however, he cut its head off, as is the god of destruction's way, destruction in order to allow creation. Parvati then cut off the head of an elephant to give to Ganesha. However, in the process, one of the tusks shattered, 
which is why Ganesha is frequently depicted holding a piece of broken tusk in his hand. The winter festival honoring Ganesha is a time for spiritual discipline amongst Hindus. A shrine is created for the occasion, celebrating new beginnings and the mending of past mistakes, and it features a statue of Lord Ganesha. As well as this, sweets, fruit and incense are offered to the god. Songs are sung in praise and gifts are given. Something really cool about this celebration is that each day is associated with a different color and theme. December 21st, the first day, is yellow, which stands for love and harmony between family members. They sit together and forgive one another of any misdeeds or fights to strengthen their relationships. December 22nd is blue, which represents love and harmony between neighbors, relatives, and close friends. They present heartfelt gifts, offer apologies, and release tensions. December 23rd is red, which stands for love and harmony among business associates and the general public. People present gifts to co-workers and customers to make them feel appreciated. December 24th, which is also Christmas Eve, is green, which represents joy and harmony that come from music, art, drama, and dance. This is really cool because people share talents to family and friends, almost like a talent show that you would have at school. December 25th is orange, and it is the final day to bring love and harmony between all three worlds. The family is so open and aware of Ganesha's grace and his blessings fill the home and hearts of everybody. They feel so happy for this week and the people they got to spend it with. Now moving on to our final celebration. Did you know that the word Hanukkah means dedication in Hebrew? The history behind the eight-day celebration of Hanukkah is also known as the Festival of Light. It began with the oppression of the Jews by the Greek Syrians in the 2nd century BC. The land of Judea, also known as Israel, which was occupied by those of the Jewish faith, was under the control of the king of Syria, Antiochus III. He allowed the Jews to practice their faith. However, when Antiochus III's son, Epiphanes, inherited the throne, he outlawed the Jewish religion and ordered the Jews to worship the Greek gods. In 1680 BC, Greek soldiers massacred thousands of people in Jerusalem and desecrated one of the city's major temples known as the Second Temple. They did this by erecting an altar to Zeus and sacrificed pigs within the temple's walls. Eventually, the Jews rose up in rebellion, led by a Jewish priest or Kohen called Matathias. When he died in 166 BC, his son Judah took his place as the leader of the rebellion. Within two years, they had driven the Syrians out of Jerusalem. Judah then initiated a cleansing of the sacred second temple. The altar was rebuilt and a menorah was lit, a candelabra with seven branches that represents knowledge and creation. Now you may wonder how this all ties in with the celebration of Hanukkah. The candelabra that was lit in the temple was meant to be kept burning every night and according to a central Jewish text, Judah and other Jews who restored the second temple witnessed a miracle. 
One day they saw that the menorah only had enough oil to last for a single night, so they needed to find more to replenish the supply before the oil had burned out. However, what little oil they had burned for eight nights whilst they searched for a supply. Thus, the eight-day celebration of Hanukkah was inspired. A candelabra with nine branches, known as a Hanukkiah, is lit on each of the eight nights, with the ninth branch being the Shamesh, or helper, candle, used to light the other eight candles, each signifying one night that the oil stayed aflame. Blessings are recited on this festival of light, with oil-based foods being traditionally served. Jam donuts in particular are always a popular favourite. Like the other holidays we've discussed, it is also a gift-giving celebration and Hanukkah has really grown into a well-known commercial holiday in recent decades. At the end of the day, whilst we all believe in different things, partake in different religions and different practices, what's clear is that we are all united by faith. And if you look around in the colder months, you'll often see this in practice. Winter is always the darkest and coldest time of year, and it's easy to see why for thousands of years mankind has celebrated around the time of the winter solstice. It seems logical that so many celebrations occur at this time, because as a species we always try to make the best of a situation, and turning that darkness into a celebration with lights and gifts and joy is something inherently human that unites us all. Our staff writer for today's episode, Abby, was thrilled to be able to research different traditions for today's episode, as well as share history from her own religion. And without my editor, Erica, I don't know how I would have got through lots of the pronunciations. I just need to be honest here, because sometimes, you know, as a presenter, we all kind of come out as if we all knew it all, but we do need support of those around us. So thank you, Erica, for always, when you're editing, pulling things up. Couldn't do it without you. Whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, Bodhi Day, or any other celebration, we all have something to look forward to in the chilly months and take joy in the anticipation of those celebrations, no matter what they're for. It's a beautiful and unifying thing. Faith plays an important part in everyday life, religious or otherwise, and Karen's story is a fantastic example of that. Faith keeps us reassured and moving forward, and it's essential for self-healing. When we struggle, it is having the strength to believe that things will be okay that convinces us to persevere through our challenges. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach me at colourful.com slash shows slash Delia and use the contact tab or email info at metaphoricallyspeaking.co.uk. We'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colourful.com 
or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify, and all major streaming platforms. And when you're there, please subscribe. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. Before I go, I'd like to do things a little differently here, apart from just thanking my guest, Karen Alexander-Banks, for not only sharing her metaphor with us, but I want to let her know, and in fact, you know as well, that she's responsible for me finding a great piece of musical inspiration through our research. And I would like to share it with you. It's by the Women of Faith, which I found on YouTube. And it really provided a rhythm that made me sing the words and I felt much better when I started to do my next task. It's called... All things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe. Till next week, goodbye. Thanks for listening to Metaphorically Speaking, created by Delia Delore Productions, with original distribution by Colourful. This episode was hosted by Delia Delore and had segments written by Abby Sames. Script supervisor, Sabina Lauchopra Garcia. Production assistance and social media graphics by Odua Osemwenke. The final programme was edited by Erica Izzy and social media videos by Ernie Deneve.